Good morning, family. Good morning. Today's scripture is from Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to him, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. I want to uh, point out that the artwork that is new to us this morning was done by Pam Beer, and particularly the cross, because I asked Pam if, if we could have a cross, because that's really where we're walking towards, and so uh, you might want to come up and take a closer look at it, but uh, it'll be there for a while. All right. Um, the question I want to put in front of you today is, if and when you become a Christian, does it change your politics? And uh, the answer might surprise you. So let me share a little bit from my own life. I grew up in a very Republican family. My dad was a small businessman, and I don't know. I didn't know there was another choice. I'll put it that way. And part of the reason that he was Republican is because his father was before him. This was before kids were rebellious, I think. And... uh, But my grandfather, who I remember, would not utter, the the word Roosevelt would not come out of his mouth. And so does anybody know what you say instead of Roosevelt? This is famous, you should know this. You say, that man. That's what you say when you don't like Roosevelt. And there were a lot of, uh, uh, yeah, years there where you had to say that man. But then I went to college, and I got really smart, right? And, and those, that was right when they moved the voting age from uh, 21 down to 18. And I got to vote in 1972, and I voted for a man named George... You can say his name. Some of you are, oh, that man, that man, yeah. Anyway, I voted for George McGovern. And my dad, I think I in large part did it because I had a rebellious uh, streak going there in my life. And I didn't, I, I, I remember my dad voted for another name that's kind of not, not the greatest name in history, Richard M. Nixon. And my dad, uh, to his credit, a few years later came to me and he says, you know, I don't think I could have voted for McGovern, but I sure shouldn't have voted for Nixon. And I, I, I say that because my, my dad actually came to the point of calling him a crook, which, you know, and my, my dad, got to remember, this is a Republican, so uh, he, he, he knew what he was seeing there. But then by the next election, 1976, the crazy thing happens in those years. You're, you're kind of moving left to right or right to left on the scale. And I got further right than my dad was. And that was puzzling to him. 
And I won't even talk about that. But I got on that, on that scale, I got out there. And uh, if you want to know more, I can tell you later. But then in 1977, I became a Christian. And here's what I would say. With Dorothy to Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> it's a whole new world. And that's really my whole sermon. But now I've got to tell you, you know, how Jesus says that. When you look at the, the world, this is the way, I'm going to talk about the way of the world here. This is what I would say is the way of the world is to talk about politics on this spectrum of liberal to conservative, left to right. And if you really want to, uh, you know, call somebody a bad name, you say they're more extreme, whether over here or over here. If you're extreme, that's, you know, that sort of writes you off one way or the other. And then you become a Christian, and one of the things that can happen is that you separate your political world uh, from your spiritual realities. And, you know, Jesus did say that my kingdom is not of this world. And we can overplay that card and not listen to some of the other things that he has to say. And we sort of uh, live at, at two different levels or we become apolitical. And that's not a good thing. Because when Jesus uh, came into uh, his hometown, theologians talk about his inaugural address in, in uh, Nazareth. When he said of himself, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And we're talking about poor in many different ways there, but we're talking about people who don't have a lot. Okay, that's a political concern. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners. Well, that could be prisoners both literally and uh, we're all uh, subject to enslavement. Uh, The recovery of sight to the blind to release the oppressed, the oppressed. We know oppressed people. Jesus came to, this is Martin Luther King stuff. You see, you can't read this as two separate deals. The the kingdom of God invades the kingdom of this world. We pray for that when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You are being radical. You have been radicalized by the greatest radical of them all, Jesus Christ, when you pray that prayer. If, If you're not radical, then you're not a Christian. You see, we're not on that line anymore, that liberal conservative line. I, I, this is after living this stuff out for 40 years now. There is no way a Christian can locate themselves or at least live on that line and be a follower of Christ. Do you know his kingdom? We, have a, we follow a king whose coronation was on a cross with a crown of thorns. How do you do that on the liberal conservative spectrum? Is that conservative or liberal? I don't know. We need a different way of talking about this stuff. So Jesus Christ does not allow those two things to stay separate. There's an intersection point, and it's at that intersection. I was going to use, uh, actually, these should be separate planes, because it's really much more complex and nuanced than I'm able to say. But if I, I, I tried to find planes, and it just looked like geometry, and I figured I'd lose you all if it looked like geometry. It's just a bunch of math and uh, who wants that? Well, uh, we live at that intersection where the kingdom of God intersects the kingdom of this world. But it, Paul says, you have been delivered out of this kingdom of darkness and you have been delivered into the kingdom of the Son. He loves. Colossians 1.13 or something like that. So we're talking about these two kingdoms that come together. And if you're on this, if you're on this, if you just stay on this thing here, you're in the old kingdom. 
I mean, that's, so let's just look at this stuff. There is no such thing as the party of Jesus. We'll see that today out of the text. And why we think there would be a party, political party of Jesus today. Uh, we, well, we just, we can't. He won't let us. Not then, not now. All right, Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> let me give you the, the overview here. And this is, you know, a lot of what Jesus said is really simple. It's stuff like, follow me, or obey me. If you love me, you will do what I say. And you just, you know, do your best. But it's pretty simple to understand. But when it gets to this political stuff, it, it's not as, it's tricky. And uh, we're going to have to do our best here. And have grace with me, if you will. But the, his enemies come and they set a trap for him. And we're going to look at the first part here, the setup, and then how the trap is sprung, and then how he surprises everybody. There you go. And we'll, we'll uh, find ourselves in the story. Okay, later. That would be the same day as what happened earlier. How's that? Later that day, meaning we're on Tuesday of Holy Week. And uh, if we go back in the text, the previous verse just said that the leaders were threatened by Jesus. They felt that he was trying to do something that would diminish their authority. Remember, if you were here last week, the leaders were threatened. They felt threatened, and their jobs were tied with the national interest of Israel, and Israel was under Rome, and there was this dance thing that they were trying to do to keep themselves in power, but also to keep the nation existing, and that they're dealing with all of that. That's a, that's, that's a political stewardship, is it not? I mean... You know, you find yourself in the middle and, and between these forces, what, what seems like a, a somebody who's leading an insurrection and the powers that be above you. And they're trying to be just good leaders. And, but in that, they're going to kill Jesus. Therein lies why Jesus died on a cross. All right, so later, they, those leaders who were feeling that way, some of the, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus to catch him, to catch him. So they're out to trap him. They're not coming to have a nice conversation with Jesus about politics and religion. Does anyone ever have a nice conversation anywhere about politics and religion? It's another question, but uh, certainly not on Facebook. Well, anyway. <laughs> they came to him to catch him in his words. So they have, they're setting a trap. So who are the Pharisees? Uh, oftentimes we think of the Pharisees as the bad guys because they were often in opposition to Jesus. But let me give you a little different nuance there. The Pharisees were very, very sincere uh, people who considered themselves the watchdog of the nation of Israel uh, morally or religiously. Kind of the, they're, they're, that's their territory. They're not, they're not real political the way uh, we think of politics. So they're more on the theological side. And they're sincere in their faith. They believe in God. They believe in his word as they understand it. And they believe in miracles. Um, and they want purity in the, in the nation. So that you'll read a lot about the purity concerns that they have in their interactions with Jesus. So there's the Pharisees. But the Herodians are more aligned with the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are... Uh, let me give you this, this picture again and you'll... You'll see why they're called the Herodians. This is Herod's temple. Herodians would be those who are concerned for Herod, his power, his family, 
and the temple that he built, and they're very much aligned with Rome. The Pharisees, they don't like Rome. They really don't like Rome, but they're not going to cause an insurrection. They're kind of realists in the political realm. And again, their primary concern is, is morality. But the, the, the Herodians or the Sadducees, are, are, they're the watchdogs of the political realm. And if you're a cynic, you would say, these guys, uh, they're just out for themselves. They really are theologically pretty liberal. They don't believe in miracles. We'll see that next week. They don't believe in the resurrection. They really don't take God's word seriously. What they take seriously is their own conservation of power. So they're politically conservative in the sense of wanting to conserve the status quo, but they're theologically liberal. They're moral relativists. And, you know, as, as Christians who believe in, in moral absolutes and the word of God, which side should we side with here? Aren't we more like the Pharisees, even though that's a bad word? But that's, I mean, I would argue for that, that Jesus was much closer to the Pharisees than he ever was to the Sadducees. They're, the, you want, they're just out for power and preserving their own power. So there's the two groups, but they come together with a common cause. They are threatened by the person of Jesus Christ. And he is, his kingdom, it threatens everyone. So uh, they're not alone. And they come with, first of all, um, they do what you should probably do when you are wanting to say something hard to somebody. They begin with a compliment. But you guys know this, you've been around a few times, sometimes a compliment is just a precursor to something that you don't like. Uh, So let me read. They came to him and they said, they're trying to catch him, remember that. Teacher, so they, they, they respect him, at least in their words. Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. And then basically they say, we know that you aren't going to just say things to please people, that you are committed to God himself. So they, they've, they've, they've used that compliment to set him up for whatever is coming next. Have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, most of us have. You know, we ought to be a little bit suspicious when somebody pays us a flattering compliment. You get buttered up in order to get eaten up. Right? <laughs> Think of the turkey. <laughs> you're, oh, you're a beautiful turkey. <laughs> or whatever. Now, my, when I was uh, younger and we had a three-year-old son, my, our youngest son, when he was three, he's, he, in total, of total, he wasn't trying to catch me in anything, but it illustrates the point that he, I got set up. He says, oh, Dad, you're a genius. And I'm thinking, well, this kid's going to go a long way. <laughs> our, other, our older boys did never say that. He's got it figured out. And then he says, uh, Dad, what's a genius? <laughs> and he, he did it with pure innocence. I mean, there's no, there was no... Uh, yeah, he had a pure heart. So Jesus is being set up to um, be filleted. And he uh, is able to recognize that. I want to get to the trap now. That's the setup. And 
when we, we get into this trap, I'm going to give you a big biblical concept here that we're going to come back to. And it, it has all kinds of applications, but let me read it to you and then I'll point it out uh, how, in the biggest sense. The enemy uh, of the psalmist, and that would be David in Psalm 57.6, they have dug a pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it, or they have fallen into it themselves. It's that idea of somebody who's out to catch you gets caught. And you'll find that theme in the Proverbs. Uh, So here's Proverbs 28.10, many times in the Proverbs. He who leads the upright along an evil path will fall into his own trap. And those of us who live by faith, we ultimately have to believe that there is justice, call it poetic justice, in this world. Now, you, you find it, here's the, the, the biggest theology on this one, is that this is exactly what happens at the cross when Jesus Christ, they, they caught him. And in the biggest sense of good versus evil, Satan was rejoicing as he saw Jesus on the cross, his, his you know, enemy from way back. But who gets caught? Who gets defeated at the cross? It's a switch. It's the old switcheroo. It's it's the reversal. And on Sunday morning, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, what a surprise to the forces of evil. They thought they had him. So this this idea is is going to be played out. Uh, it's a it's a big concept in the scriptures, and uh, we have to hold on to that as we go through this. We'll definitely come back to it as we walk towards the cross. But listen to what specifically they say to Jesus here. Is it right, here's, here's the, the trap, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? In other words, a yes or a no is what's required. And we're going to talk about the yes and the no, what the implications are here in just a sec. But I want you to notice this about Jesus. He's not limited by the yes and the no. He is, uh, he sees more deeply. He's very, I mean, I sound so, uh, these words sound so goofy, but he's really smart. He's, he's very clever. He's very witty. No one ever outwits him. If you look at the scriptures, I mean, it's not that that's like the main thing we would say about Jesus, but it's definitely something we can say about Jesus. Now, last week, we looked at how the, how Jesus asks a question, not, uh, he is, the, the shoe is on the other foot. Jesus asked the question about John. Was John from heaven, or was his authority from heaven, or was his authority from humans? Just, you know, human authority. And, and they were trapped, because if they answered uh, from heaven, then Jesus could say to them, well, why didn't you believe? And if they say it was from people, then the people will be mad at them. Or at, because, they, well, you know, that's... Uh, they believed that John was a prophet. So the, the, Jesus set the trap for them and they fell into it. Basically, they, they, were, they couldn't say anything. So what will happen to Jesus here is the question. When he's put in that yes or no position, and uh, it's one of the tricks of, of walking that, on that line of the kingdom of God to not give in to the yes or no, is to find that Jesus answer. And it's not always in the middle, or if it's in the middle, it's in the radical middle. Uh, so we, we had a whole series on this stuff in the fall, so I'm not going to dwell on it, but I just want to point that out. So um, here's, what, here's the setup. Uh, it has to do with a tax. And how many of you like taxes? Not one hand goes up, I've noticed. No, who likes taxes? I, I mean, you know, maybe if, if you have good cause for it, but 
this tax was a very, very small tax in terms of what was being required. So reach into your pocket if you have a pocket or your purse and pull out a coin, and it would have been at that level. And you pay it once a year. Not a big deal, but it was a big deal. This was the most, this, this poll tax or head tax was the most onerous tax to the nation of Israel. They hated it. And here, let me, I have to give you the reasons why. If you look at the, the coin that was um, in, in use in that day, this is uh, Tiberius Caesar is the, the emperor. And his image, which Jesus will say, his image is on that coin, at least on one side of it. And it says of him, uh, it says that he is the king, that he is the son of Augustus Caesar, the son of God, so he's in some way divine. And it says that he is the Maximus Pontimus, which means he is the high priest. And so he's, he, let, me, let me read that list to you. This, if, as a Christian, you'll, you'll recognize Son of God, High Priest, King. Those are titles that ultimately fall to Jesus. Of course, the nation of Israel, Israel isn't seeing that at the moment. But they know that their allegiance only goes to God. And when you had to pay this tax, it was a way of saying that Caesar is Lord. So it wasn't ever, not a lot of money, but it's the, it's the principle of the thing, right? That gets you all fired up. And this is, uh, so let me go a little deeper into the backstory. There was a guy named Judas the Galilean, and he's referred to in Acts chapter 5, verse 37, if you want to go there. He's also referred to in the history of the Jewish people, uh, which was written in the first century by a guy named Josephus. And, um, but we know this about him, that he led a tax rebellion, so the original Tea Party, before Boston and before whatever we had recently here. Um, this is the original Tea Party movement, and he refused to pay the taxes, and he gathered other people with him in this, and they became these rebellious sorts, and he was executed. But he was the beginner of what's called the Zealot Movement, and we'll run into that word here just a little bit further down the road. Uh, so that's the backstory on this stuff. And so Jesus, you can tell, I just want you to know that really, this tax thing really, really bugged the people of Israel. It's not popular. So that sets up Jesus. Then if he says, if he says uh, no, don't pay the tax, then who's going who's gonna to hear that? See, Rome already killed. Is he the next Judas the, the Galilean? Is this Jesus the Galilean who's saying don't pay taxes? So he, if he says no, he falls into the trap on that side. But if he says yes, well, we know the people don't like this tax. And so he's going to be invalidated, in a sense, by the people. And maybe, oh, his kingdom is just a spiritual kingdom kind of, kind of stuff or whatever. But he's trapped either way he turns on this one, yes or no. So he doesn't say yes or no. Uh, we're at that intersection here. And if, if, maybe this would help you. If in World War II in, in France and other European countries, you were either a Nazi sympathizer and collaborator or you were a member of the resistance, which are you, Jesus? Are you, a, are you a, a, somebody who goes along with the enemy or are you somebody who is going to rebel against the enemy? 
That's, you know, yes or no. Don't, don't, you can't waffle on this one. We've got you trapped. So Jesus is in a bit of a spot, at least to the naked eye. And then his words that are the big surprise. And he says, give me a coin. Okay, we have a king, the first king in history that I know of, that doesn't have a coin. I mean, in this, the kingdom of God is it's so backwards. And, and I always have to repent whenever I forget that. It just keeps correcting me. It, it keeps taking me off of that left-right thing. You have a king without a coin. Is that a, does that mean he's conservative or liberal? <laughs> Who knows? He's on a different plane. A king without a coin to his name. He has to ask for one. And uh, he does. And he asks the question, whose inscription is on that coin? Who's, and the, the, the Greek word is icon for the image. Whose image is on that coin and whose inscription? It's, it's that word icon, which we know. And um, then he says these famous words that we all know. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And what does that mean? Well, it's his, na- his name's on the coin. I guess it's his. That's what it means. He, in, in their understanding, at least, I don't think we would have the same understanding, but I mean, we wouldn't say give to George Washington's what's George Washington or whatever, but the idea was that that's out of his treasury, that he minted that, that you're, you're borrowing it to use. It really belongs to him. That's how they would understand it. So just give to Caesar what's already his. It's not a big deal. It's a little tax. Pay your taxes. But give to God what is God's. Caesar did not make you. Caesar has a treasury, but you're part of God's treasury. Caesar has an image on the coin, but you have the image of God imprinted on your soul. You give your soul, you give your heart, you give your life to God, and you just give Caesar this little coin. Do you see how brilliant Jesus is? And how balanced he is? And how radical he is? All at the same time. I mean, who else could pull that off? You're a member of, uh, uh, Paul says it this way, you have, your citizenship is not located here, your citizenship is in heaven. And guess what? In heaven, they don't have conservatives and liberals. <laughs> what a joke. They have people there who are made in the image of God, who are treasured by God. This is where Jesus goes. His focus is not the same as the focus of this world. The church, throughout history, and I don't have time to develop this thought, but just put it out there, that throughout history, when the church locates itself on that left-to-right spectrum, it loses its voice to culture. Now, I can explain that because that's not how Jesus operates, but you can also explain it in that a lot of people just won't listen to you. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in World War II, as the German church was giving itself over or coming under the German state, which was evil, and people were giving themselves over to it. Bonhoeffer was one of the few that didn't lose his voice. 
And I'm going to tell you this, you can lose your voice to the left or to the right. The kingdom of God is... You know, more and more in my life, on particular issues, and I'll just say this, I'm not going to say any one of them in particular, but I find myself on the right on some issues, on the left on some issues, and I, I feel like the reason I am is because I'm on this line called the kingdom of God. That's... This is... And it's continually immersing yourself, not in left-wing or right-wing ideology, but in the words of Jesus that keeps you in the kingdom of God. So, uh, just to draw some conclusions and comparisons here, a comparison that will help us focus. There were these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Some, uh, you could say, they fit into categories of conservative and liberal uh, in their day. That came together, and isn't it interesting, strange bedfellows make, makes politics, somebody once said. And you have these two groups that really don't like each other. And they've decided to, to get along for the sake of a common cause, which is they feel threatened by the person of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Now, it's, it, in the political world, it's good to compromise. I don't want to overplay this card. I think that's just part of the realities that you have to deal with as you live in a fallen world and people disagree and hopefully they're not shooting each other. So, not a bad thing, but let me show you a better thing. There were, in Jesus' group of 12 disciples, we, we know them by name, and I want to point out two of them to you. And use your imagination here a little bit because we don't have a lot of, of ink on either one, but we have a little bit. One of them was named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. In other words, he was in bed with Rome. He was collecting the taxes, including this really, really unpopular tax for the state. And he, we can imagine, he was sitting there one day and he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, and Jesus went to his house for dinner and he ends up becoming a follower of Christ. My own interpretation is that he was thinking about that for a long time, that I wish there was a better way, and when he saw the better way, he jumped on it. But he wasn't happy. He got tired of people calling him names and, you know, every, every day he goes home with his bag of money and people using slurs and all that stuff, and no friends and all the rest. And so Jesus invites him into his community, and it's a different deal. Um, But one of the guys he would have met in that little community was a guy named Simon, who's also known as Simon the Zealot. So what's Simon's deal? Well, he's related back to Judas the Galilean who did that revolt thing. We hate Rome. We hate paying these taxes that are not that much when it comes to monetary value, but in terms of heart value and who we are, we are not going to be bowing ourselves down to Caesar. So you have these two guys that come from two different places on the left and right, kind of in this world's way of looking at things, and they come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and they are brothers. And they learned to love their enemies the way their king loved their enemies, and they learned to not talk about those guys over there being bad or looking down on people. And they follow a man who is not like on Friday we experienced this, and I'm praying for our new president. I want to get that out there. But it, when he was inaugurated, very different than when Jesus the king is inaugurated on a cross with a thorn of crowns. 
very different. The kingdom of God flips you over, turns you upside down. We are in continual repentance on this thing, and we have brothers and sisters who may think differently on the left and the right, but they come together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you in or not? Politics, your politics will be changed as you follow Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we pray the prayer that you taught us, and you are the King of Kings, you taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. Here as it is in heaven. And uh, Lord, we need you down here. The, the answers of the left and the right aren't, aren't doing it for us. We need you, Lord. And that we would be salt and light in the midst of darkness. I pray that for each one of us. And we pray this in the name of you, Lord Jesus, who died on a cross and wore the crown there. Amen.